0: You paid it all so that we could be free. Amen. That's awesome. All right, I uh, I got the students and I got I got the high school students in here. All right? so I want to ask you guys a question. You guys are spread out. Some of you guys are back in this area. So it's a question for our high school students. All right, are any of you high school students the like the tech people for your family? Like you get like your grandparents who are like, hey, uh, I don't know how to work my remote, fix my phone, my TV. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, some of you are like, amen, yeah, I got, okay, all right, so I am that for some people in my family, and, and recently I got a call, there's an emergency, uh, I got this new TV, and it's all messed up, I need you to come fix my TV, okay, so I, uh, I well, when, when I come, oh, you got to come, you got to come for like lunch, and I'm like, well, that's cool, you're going to feed me, I like that, that's good, but it was really because um, I was, I, I needed to see the news, because that's where it's really broke. Which is confusing, but I didn't ask me questions, because if you're the tech person in your house, you know eh, there's not a lot you know not a lot of rationale in a lot of the questions we get. So I show up and I said, "Now look at this." And we're watching the news, and um, he's like, "Now, look, see all, how all their heads are all like fat. Now Dan, you know that's not true. That ain't that way because they're on the news. They wouldn't have big, fat-headed people on the news. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, and said, so, but the real thing. Just keep watching, and then sure enough, the weather come up. Said, so now see, you see, that's the seven-day forecast. We can only see five days. There's a problem with this TV. Oh my God! All right, so fix the aspect ratio on the TV, which you would have thought was rocket science. And man, I was impre- like, like they thought I could get like a job in engineering like that. It's all it needed. One simple thing. I'm good to go. Um, And what was was really funny about this, they had actually called their cable provider and fussed at them because there was only five days of the seven show. Anyway, okay, I got to stop. But it it was just funny to me. Some of you are that. That's okay. The rest of us, we enjoy laughing occasionally at your expense. All right. So I fix it. And all of a sudden, everything goes back to normal. It's normal. Trust me, it is the way it should be. And I get, I don't know, I think their heads are a little too skinny now. They weren't, they were right. Here's what happened. They got used to the big wide heads. So when the heads were normal, they didn't look right. So here's the kind of the funny lead into this. We have this um, tendency to get stuck in our perceptions. And if our perception is flawed or wrong, and we are presented with the correct ratio, we're presented with the correct view, presenting something that's right and true, oftentimes it will look wrong because it's not in line with the perception we've grown accustomed to. We do this all the time, but nowhere is it probably more damaging than our view of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be who he has called us to be. See, it makes it really hard sometimes, I think, as we study Scripture because we take that lens, that perception, and we read back into Scripture our view, our broken perception, and we get a distorted view of God. We get a distorted view of his revelation and his calling for us. And it just makes all this that much more complicated last week we were in the exodus the first part of the exodus of that story and we realized that God used the exodus to make himself known he revealed his ultimate authority for his namesake he redeemed Israel and took them to be his people now what what does it mean if you're Israel and you are God's chosen people what does it mean to be God's people? What, what are the standards? What are the house rules, right? What, what are the expectations? What's the law? What's the standard? The rest of Exodus and into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy makes this known. It is the presentation of the standard of what it means to be God's people. It is also the place where reading plans go to die. All right? Let's just be honest. Some of you, this is like your fifth beginning of a reading plan. And you get to right here, and you're like, I'm going to make it this time. I'm going to make it this time. And in about the time you get out of Exodus, you're, you're like, I'm behind. All right? It's like me on a diet. I'm a good on a diet until I see a bakery, and I'm done. That's the end. I know it's over. I'm done. And by bakery, I mean like, you know, crispy cream. I mean, it doesn't take much. All right? So here's what happened this week. I honestly had a, a section, in, uh, a sermon to really just dive into the Ten Commandments and talk about that. But we do this uh, every five years to help you read through the Bible. And for many of you, it'll be your first time or your second or third time. And we know this section can be hard. And we believe that if you will dive into God's Word and you will read it and study its full counsel, the entirety of the Word, that it will begin to form a lens for you that will clean up that distortion, that will help you eliminate those false perceptions and those false ideas of God that you project back into the text. In other words, Scripture will begin to interpret Scripture. And so it's really important for us that you journey through this. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to somewhat chase the context for the law, for everything that you will begin to read this week forward all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. I want you to see its value, its worth, I want you to be encouraged by it, because Verse by verse in some of this, it's going to get difficult. In chapter 20, you'll see the Ten Commandments, and you'll see more laws given all the way into chapter 23. There's this promise of a conquest in 24 through 31. There's instructions uh, given to really what we might call like um, the sanctuary law. In other words, how they're to build the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, what the priest should wear, how these... Uh, like. Uh, practices should go down what should happen there And by the way as this is happening in chapter 32 the israelites are down here building an idol they build a golden calf and worship it and in chapter 23 you see this wrestling with moses and the lord of what am i going to do with these people who don't meet the standard chapter 34 there is a renewed covenant made between God and his people in 35 through 40, you see the pursuit of that uh, sanctuary law that was given in 24 through 31. It's about to get more difficult. And so as we go through this, I want to give you some points of context that's going to guide you. I want to speak to you a little bit about the law in its entirety and its place in history and its place in the Christian life. And so, I'm going to be honest, we're going to be in a lot of Scripture. It's going to be kind of heavy at times, but it's going to be so good. And I do really believe it will help frame your reading over the next few weeks. The first point of context, God is holy, therefore we must be holy. Uh, In this Exodus period, this is emphasized and repeated again and again by the Lord. In Leviticus 11.45, right in the middle of this Exodus timeline, God says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This principle is reinforced by Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father, is perfect. That's what we mean when we talk about God's holiness. It is his perfection. It is his perfect standard. This principle is reinforced also in the life of the Jesus follower. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy knowing that you were ransomed notice the exodus tie in here that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It's true also in our ministry and our discipleship to one another. It's anchored in the very uh, purpose given to the church. Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul says, We make disciples, we equip the saints for the work of ministry until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To what end? to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the standard for God's people? What's the expectation? The answer is God's holiness and nothing less. Perfection, his perfect holiness, that is the standard on man and left to ourselves we will not achieve this standard in our sin we fall short it is nothing that you're going to reach you're not going to make progress in it you fall short and so the more this standard is revealed so we're talking about really again getting into the law a little bit revealing the standard the more we see the holiness of god The more we see how holy God is, and the more we see how sinful we are. The more the standard is presented, the greater we see God's holiness, and the more sinful we see ourselves. Our perception of the gap between ourselves and God is increased with this revelation. When we see the standard of God, we realize his perfection, his holiness, and we are just in awe of how great he is. And we are convicted by how far from him we are, how deep our sin is. And this hits us in our pride. Oh, it hits us in our pride that we're not good, that we're not independent That we don't contribute somehow. That our best isn't going to get there. It hits us in our insecurity. That we're not right. That we're not in control. That we don't have authority left to ourselves. And so for this reason, man does not like God's law we don't like God's law it confronts us it exposes us it condemns us so we don't like it it's hard for us in our pride and in our insecurity and so this has led us to this perception that the law is bad And we want to quickly dismiss it and kind of get it out of our lives. Even those of us who are Christ followers, we want to just kind of get away from it. We want to move on past it. We don't want to be reminded of our broken sinfulness. We tend to think of it as a bunch of rules that no longer have value. We tend to think of it as restrictive. And after all, we've bought into this lie that God has freed you To be you. That's not true. It's just not true. Our second point of context, God gave the law for our good. God gave the law for our good. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 21, he is your praise, he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made them as numerous as the stars in the heavens. God's saying, I am your God. I am the authority. I am the Redeemer. The superpower of the world could not stand against me. I have no rival. I have no peer. I am the authority And I have been good to you. I've been good to you. And it's in this context, a few verses earlier, in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Now that you've been redeemed, now that you're his people, what is required of you? To fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. God's commandments are given for our good the law is for our good you need to know when you're buried in numbers and you're buried in leviticus it's for your good they provide a more certain revelation of what god requires of you his people they do they they give us a more certain revelation of what god requires of you Romans chapter 7, I'm going to be in Romans quite a bit this morning, did that by design. This is reinforcing a lot of places in scripture, but if you were with us last year, we studied and preached through Romans, and you'll be able to see some of these overlaps very clearly. Romans chapter 7, verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Here's what Paul's saying. Our sinful passions, our sin nature, is aroused by the law. God's law that prohibits sin is the very thing that ignites it within us. If you're a parent, you understand that. Okay, you just get it. Because here's the way it works. It doesn't matter if they're three or they're 13, it doesn't matter. If you set a boundary, you draw a boundary line, you have immediately declared a war. That three-year-old, don't go past that line. What makes them do that? Sin. It's sin. It's the immediately boundary line. It's right there. You see it. And so here's what's happening. The law brings light to the sin nature that is inside of us. See, the sin that is inside of us is immediately aroused at the moment the line is drawn. It exposes who we really are. One theologian said, the law is not the remedy for our condemnation or our rebellion. In fact, it is given to turn our inner rebellion into more blatant and visible transgressions. It exposes sin. And so there's a question here. Well, is the law bad then? If the law makes me sin more, is is the law bad? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 7. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. That word, by the way, is my kryptonite. I I can't get there, it's not going to happen. For apart from me, the law, or for, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Paul asks, Is the law sinful? No, the law exposes our sin. We've all seen those cartoons or the movies where they like somehow end up in a cave or you know, there's some place and it's dark and all of a sudden the lights go out and they're wandering around in the cave, right? And you can hear them like the smacking on the flashlight or whatever and all of a sudden the light comes on in the dark cave and the light shines on like a million bats, the most bats that would ever be in any cave and all of a sudden the bats charge out and they're screaming and flailing about, right? Watch, the bats were in the cave when it was dark but the moment the light came on The awareness of what was there was made and the reaction to it. In a very silly example, the law is like that light. Sin is within us. It wrecks us. But the law exposes it. And sure, we tend to think it would be better if we just didn't see it. It would be better if we didn't know it was there. But, you know, we live in a society that says, you know what, let's stop making boundaries. Because if we don't make boundaries, we we won't break them. I'm glad that our God loved us enough to expose what was inside of us rather than to pretend it is not there. And so in this way, you're seeing this blessing of the law. I did not see the depth of my sin until the law showed me. You say, well, what if if I didn't read the law? What if I didn't know the law? What then? Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not know the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse." Or even excuse them. The work or the function of the law is written on our hearts. Every one of us in our conscience. Every one of us in our image bearing creation. Have some understanding of our sin. All of us. But the law is a blessing and a gift from God because it is an increased revelation. When you're walking around in the cave, you know there's some bats in there. You might not be able to see them, but when the light comes on, oh, you know they're there. And in our sin, what a blessing the law is that it exposes to us our sinfulness and raises our view of God's holiness. So an application, as you begin to study through the law, know that it will give you a deeper understanding of God's holiness and our sin, and that this is a great blessing to be thankful for. To the lost person, because it is that very conviction that leads them to the awareness that they need a savior, that they cannot meet the standard. And to those of you who are in Christ Jesus, It is the very definition of the character and holiness of Christ in which you are called to be conformed and long to be like. Number three, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus did not come to lower the standard. The standard of God is wrapped up into his character, into who he is. He is unchanging. It cannot change. God's holiness cannot be brought down. It cannot be removed. Jesus did not come to lower the standard of God or to remove the standard of God. Jesus came to fulfill the standard of God for you, to meet it in full what you and I could not meet, so that through faith in him, by the grace of God, we could be redeemed. We could truly be his people. By grace, through faith in Jesus, the requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. The requirement of the standard of God is fulfilled in us. The gap between our sin and God's holiness is filled by Jesus. So number four, Jesus' followers are no longer under the law. Go back to Romans uh, 7 verse 1. Uh, through 6 you get this illustration we'll break it down it's an illustration in context to the law and in verse 2 Paul says for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies she is released from the law of marriage accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive but if her husband dies she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Here you have this illustration of the marriage covenant. While married, I am in a covenant relationship with my spouse. I belong to them and they me. It is a covenant. It is bonding. If my spouse dies, I am no longer in a binding covenant with my spouse. I am free to marry again. And so Paul says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit For God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. You are dead to law keeping as a pursuit of righteousness. Is any illusion that you are accomplishing righteousness, right standing with God, meeting the standard, his standard for his people through law keeping, that is now dead. Watch this. That is dead in both justification and sanctification. Two big words. That is dead in your declaration that you are right with God. That's what happens when we place saving faith in Christ. God declares us right with him. But we still have sin. And so God is continuing to do a work in us. Fully his work. Conforming us into what he has declared us to be. Still his work. So we don't add to our righteousness in the declaration through law keeping. We don't add to our righteousness in the work of sanctification in which we are being conformed into the image of Christ through our law keeping. No, that covenant is dead. And In Christ, you are in a new covenant with him. You're no longer married to the law, you are married to Jesus. This is the illustration that Paul's breaking down here. We are in the covenant to the law, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law, and now we are in covenant with him. Paul says this another way in Romans 2, he gives another illustration of this. He says, we were once enslaved to sin, and we have been set free, not to ourselves but now are slaves to righteousness. Here's what he's saying. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to Jesus. Our life belongs to him. Number five, Jesus' followers live in the spirit. Now pursue life in the spirit. The, the standard of God now indwells us. It's within us. It's no longer outside of us. Again, you're not trying to achieve it. Instead, as a Christ follower, we treasure Jesus' holiness. We set our minds to it. It's what we do in the proclamation of faith. We set our minds to Christ's holiness and long to be conformed into his image. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He goes on after this, and he lists, Some fruits of the flesh and some fruits of the spirit. And in verse 24, he picks back up and says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And listen to verse 25. So if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. If we live in the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Jesus' followers set their minds. You might say it this way. We set our heart. We set our faith to walk by, to live by, to keep in step with. By the way, all these terms are terms of action. They are. We got to walk by, to live by, to keep in step with the Spirit. God's standard is no longer outside of us, it now indwells us. What does that mean? Watch. We no longer chase the law in order or in hope to achieve something. Instead, we follow Jesus. It, watch. We don't achieve. We don't achieve. We follow. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are a Jesus follower. See, legalism says you achieve God's standard. You add to it. License, just as damaging to us and just as sinful, says you don't follow God's standard. Legalism says you achieve it. License says you don't follow it. And so we, we, we're tempted, I think, as Jesus followers, to stop here and just say, we're not under the law, we're in the Spirit, the end. But Paul says, we are under Christ. We're no longer under the law, but as Jesus followers, we're under Christ. That's his terminology. In Galatians 6, 2, he says, fulfill the law of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 Paul gives this illustration, and he, in the middle of it, he kind of unpacks this idea. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Listen, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, verse 21, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but here's where Paul is, but under the law of Christ. We're not under this law trying to achieve something, but our life is not redeemed to just go be whatever we want and continue to live in our sin. In saving faith and repentance, we turn from the illusion of self-righteousness. And we proclaim with longing in our heart, setting our minds to follow Jesus, to be conformed into His image. So if, you, if you're hearing this, if you think, this sounds a lot like being under the law again. Only if you're in the flesh. or if you're in Christ, His holiness is life. And the indwelling of the Spirit is a treasured thing for you because you long to be conformed into the image of your Savior. You might think of it this way, another way of saying it, like the Holy Spirit is not helping you become a better person. For those of you who are in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you, I just need to make you sure you get something. The Holy Spirit is not helping you become a better person person no the holy spirit is transforming you to be a new person a specific person one who is conformed into the image of christ listen if you didn't sign up for that death to self and a new life in christ you're not a jesus follower that's what repentance and saving faith looks like you're you're not free to be you You are redeemed to be a child of God and be conformed into his image. You are made new. You're not just improved a little bit. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not as an achiever, not because you're earning something, because you follow him. And the commandments, the law, there is a huge portion of that that is the very revelation of God's holiness it is wrapped up into his character and so no you don't approach it trying to achieve something but you do recognize jesus fulfilled the law and you were called to be conformed into his image and so there is a following of him into his holiness so quick review all right the law is good All right, as you're reading through over the next few weeks, the law is good. It is an increased revelation of God's holiness, his standard. It exposes our sin and our need for atonement. It makes much of Jesus who fulfilled the law for us. And it brings definition to Christ-likeness and his holiness. So the question we get asked about this time is, so am I under the law? like. Am I under the Ten Commandments? Well, no. You're no longer married to them. That contract has been fulfilled in Christ. It's not bonding. You do not stand before God measured by your law keeping. This covenant is no longer the covenant you're in as a Christ follower. They've been kept for you. And you're now married to Jesus. Your standing is in him. But you have a new covenant in him. You are under him. He is your treasure, your joy, and your aim, and you long to be conformed into his image. And so where the law arouses our sin and exposes our sin, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us into the image of Jesus, transforming us, and we long to be transformed. So practically, what does that mean? It means you don't commit adultery. You don't. You know Why? because that's not Christ-like, that's not His holiness, that's not what I'm following. I don't hate, I don't steal, I don't murder, why? Because that's not Christ-like. I honor my mother and father, why? Because that's Christ-like. I don't shy away from gospel proclamation, because to do so would not be Christ-like. I don't put stumbling blocks in the path of my brother or sister. Why? Because that would not be Christ-like. See, I'm not under the law as a law keeper, but I am under Jesus as a Jesus follower. And his holiness sets the trajectory for my life. And I find joy and purpose and life in it. And the very Spirit of God indwells me as an authentic Jesus follower, convicting me to be transformed. And so, in just a few moments, I want to give you a little bit of a frame as you approach some of these things and just give you an example from some of these Ten Commandments. The big truth that I want you to kind of walk away with in light of all this, if I can summarize, there is only one authority. God made himself known through the Exodus, and in his law, he is making clear he and he alone is the only authority. That is true for today's Jesus follower, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. This is the recognition of earthly authority, okay? Think government powers, that kind of thing. Yet for us who are in Christ, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord. One earthly authority that is Jesus, that is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This was in the prophets in Isaiah 44:6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God, I have no peer. Where's the foundation to this? Right here in the Revelation, in the middle of the Exodus, going all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. One authority. Our lives are in response to him. We are not set free to ourselves. We are not the authority. We are either bound to ourselves and our righteousness, or we are bound to Christ and to his. And so when you read through the Ten Commandments, you don't read through them as a Jesus follower. You read through the law, you don't read through it as a Jesus follower and think of achieving something. You think of following Christ. And so when you read the first Ten Commandment, you shall have no other gods before me The Jesus follower sets his mind to put any authority that is not God behind him. This isn't just about some idols. Any authority that's not the authority is behind me. Why? Because that's Christ-like. When you read the second commandment, and it says, do not make or worship idols. The Jesus follower sets his mind to put away the idols. Anything that robs worship from the one true God. That's not just some statue on your shelf. That's all kinds of things, that's our money, that's our jobs, that might even be your family, that might be your kids, it's a lot of things. What would take worship and joy from the one true authority and rob it from him and misplace it and putting on, put it to the creation rather than the creator? Why, because that's Christ-like. We don't take the Lord's name in vain. And listen, we're probably more guilty of that in the South than anywhere else. And I don't mean because we use a cuss word. The point is because we've developed this false perception that that's all that that is. But every time you stand up and you say, the Spirit led me to do this, and you know, God told me to do this, and God did this, and God did that, here's what you're doing, you're taking His authority and you're putting it on your statement. And let me just say it this way, you better be certain. In the Old Testament, you got that wrong one time and they had a right to kill you. And we so flippantly throw around the authority of God. The Jesus follower says, God is the one true God. Jesus' name should be exalted above every other name. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So when you read through the law over the next few weeks, I want you to pray something. God, increase my understanding of your holiness may the law expose to me your holiness second god may the law convict me and expose me of my sin that falls short of your holiness if you're here and you've never placed saving faith in christ the response to your sin that is exposed is to acknowledge that Jesus paid the debt, that the Son of God was sent for you to pay the penalty for your sin, to live out the standard you could not live so that you could be adopted into the family of God. But if you're here as a child of God, you still should be convicted of your sin. it still should weigh on our heart. Why? Because we have been set apart to follow Jesus and to be holy as He is holy because we have been conformed and are being conformed into His image. And so this week, as you begin to read into the law, please do so praying those two things. God, let me stand in awe of Your holiness and convict me Of my sin. Would you pray with me? Our team's going to come on up. And as they do, I just ask that you set aside the distractions and that you would just take a moment to pray those things. Father, would you make known to me a greater understanding of your holiness? and your standard and Father would you expose my sin in so doing church I am praying that you would worship Jesus that you would not see his work as a small thing but you would understand that the debt paid the standard met was enormous and beyond description. And he did it for you. I pray that if you've never claimed Christ as your own, I pray that the Spirit would convict you to do so today. And if you have, I pray that you would be encouraged and that you would be convicted. And that you would set your mind and set your faith to follow Jesus. Pray all this in the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus. Amen.